Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project after a little bit of organizational chaos. Um, I'm often involved in a certain degree of organizational chaos. Uh, tonight was a little bit more than usual. Uh, but anyway, I am joined this evening by Nick Palazzo, who's joining us from the, uh, the script room. <clears throat> Dave, unfortunately, couldn't make it uh, this evening. He is. Uh, he just uh, got his COVID vaccine and is uh, suffering some of the side effects this evening, so he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't be with us here tonight. But we'll uh, we'll try to carry on without him because tonight uh, this is season five, episode twenty-eight or session twenty-eight, in which we discuss episode six of the season. Uh, so we're moving up to episode six, which is a very action-packed uh, episode, especially contrasted with. I know, Nick, we've been dealing with some of the very non-action-packed episodes of the front half of the season and we're making up for lost time on that front yep yep i uh, i think i started out with my uh my intro to the script discussion for this episode with i cannot tell you how excited i am today <laughs> to actually have a story in every one of our plot lines right, in, which, in which things happen there's like uh yeah, I mean, I think we have fight scenes in all three plot lines, don't we? I mean, there's like yeah. not just action. There's there's just events. There's like combat in every single one. So yeah. yes, uh, very uh, very high tension episode here today. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I one thing. So I wanted to apologize at the beginning. Um, I, we've had uh, so I. I the backstage session uh, on GoToWebinar, uh, which many people have attending, I screwed that up and I had to create a new one and then like compounded that by forgetting to send that out. So for those of you who are watching on other places who often watch uh, with us backstage on GoToWebinar, uh, you can go to the discussion forums and Nick can set you up there with the link uh, for the new session. Um, uh, so feel free to join us there or, you know, continue to join us on YouTube or Twitch or Facebook or Twitter or any of the other places where we are also streaming. So um, anyway, let me uh, move on to announcements for the evening and then we will jump back into the episode. So uh, two announcements. One, I just wanted to this is the first um uh, the first Silmarillion film project session that we've had since the big news hit, but I just I did want to repeat the big news for those who haven't heard it yet. Uh, we are doing Mythmoot in person this year. We're doing, or rather, we are doing a fully hybrid Mythmoot this year. Um, we're going to do uh, an in-person gathering in Virginia, and we are also doing a fully digital event. So that is going to be um, a lot of fun to do. I cannot wait uh, to get to see folks again. Um, in Virginia, in Leesburg, Virginia, at the National Conference Center, and uh, to be able to get together with folks online as well. So uh, Mythmoot is June 24th to 27th, uh, and uh, really looking forward to getting back together. I, I, I know... I know that like the pandemic is not officially over, but it's going to sure start feeling more, much more over to me once we uh, once we are actually able to get back together for Mythmoot. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Um, uh, so we don't we don't yet have the registration links up for that yet. Um, we're still finalizing a couple things, but those should go up in the next couple days. But we wanted to wanted people to be able to be thinking about it and planning for it and uh, and working out what to do here. So. Uh, 
just wanted to make sure everybody knew about that. And then also Signum Clubs. Um, we are now uh, running live with our clubs. Our first clubs are happening. Uh, it has been awesome. We've got students doing creative writing together. We've got students learning Anglo-Saxon, to, excuse me, Old English together. Um, I keep getting corrected by my philologist uh, colleagues uh, who say that my uh, uh, my teachers who taught me that the language was Anglo-Saxon were all like dinosaurs, which is remembering my teachers couldn't uh, be more likely. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so Old English, uh, they're, they're learning Old English. They're, 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 they're reading The Hobbit together. It's been a lot of fun. So um, uh, we've got our book clubs, our creative writing clubs, our conversation clubs uh, for uh, immersive language conversation. Um, uh, in foreign languages, in modern languages, and then translation club for learning historical languages. Um, been a really wonderful time. So I encourage folks to look into that, signumuniversity.org slash academy. All right. Now back to film film business. So the uh, first thing we wanted to emphasize here is we wanted to be looking ahead. As you will have noticed, we're doing things a little bit differently. This, you know, we sort of structured uh, the season, or, you know, our productions a little differently this year, um, just as we were kind of interspersing continued discussion on basic concepts while we were beginning going through uh, and doing the, um, the episodes and stuff. Similarly, we are going to uh, be starting the post-production stuff also sort of sooner. We're going to we're going to kind of be interweaving that. Um, so we would love to start discussing um, some things like casting nominations and voting, sets, locations, and uh, props, <clears throat> creative and artistic listener contributions, the music and score. Um, so we, I just want to uh, very strongly invite folks to. Um, uh, to to send in some stuff. Uh, of course, we can't discuss what we um, can't discuss what we don't have. Uh, so we would love to, uh, to to get some more contributions. To just encourage folks uh, to send in some ideas and thoughts. There are uh, several different uh, uh, forums in the discussion forum that where you can participate uh, in those discussions. Get some ideas. Give some ideas. Uh, and uh, and then you know we'll be happy to uh, discuss and go through uh, some of your ideas and suggestions. Uh, uh, during the broadcast when we when we get to those. So definitely wanted to encourage uh, uh, folks uh, for their creative contributions. We have loved the, those discussions and uh, uh, looking through the wonderful stuff that folks have created in previous seasons. And the film film script discussions continue on Sunday the 18th of April. So that's uh, a week and a half from now. Um, you guys are going to be discussing episode eleven. Wow, you're really you're really getting up there. You're 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 yep. uh, in the home stretch yep. there. Absolutely. So almost that's the last pre-battle episode, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's the uh, the the big push episode. Mm-hmm. Right. So Fingolfin's big push. Yep. 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 Nice. Nice. Cool. Yeah, that's a huge episode for setting up the final duel of Fingolfin there at the end. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, really big stuff. Awesome. So yeah, so there's a uh, there's a link there to the discussion forum where you can go. Uh, tell them how, how to navigate to it from the forum. So if they go to the Silm Film Forum, um, then where do they go from there? All right. So you go to the Silm Film Forums, and then you go down to Script. Uh, that'll take you to a list of the seasons. So season five, 
and then you would go to script discussion season five episode 11 it's in the uh, notation so5 e11 uh, which is the way that we've been doing that for a while um very often like right now <laughs> the last post in there uh is it on the forums at all um at least in the script forums is the uh episode 11 uh sub form so it's easy enough to find right now right uh, right yeah cool cool great awesome so encourage people to get involved there you can show up for the live session at 7 30 p.m on april 18th uh or you can post there uh in the discussion forums thoughts and ideas about that episode which will then be taken into account during the uh the script discussion so let us get to the outline of episode six so we're working off an outline here the episode's called freedom right the working title is called freedom mm-hmm. yeah okay all right, this is the this is the jailbreak episode. So we've been kind of building up to this um, uh, for a while. Uh, this kind of builds off the concept that we discussed back in season four, which was that we wanted to, you know, it's one of the things that we've been exploring now for a while, since like halfway through season four, was the issue of elves being taken captive in Angband and what happens with them, right? So we wanted to explore one of the four, or each, I should say, of the kind of four different outcomes uh, for elves who are um, uh, taking captive in Angband. We wanted uh, one who is taken captive and never escapes. We want one who is taken captive and legitimately escapes um, and achieves freedom. Um, We wanted one who is taken captive and who is mind whammied into uh, becoming essentially a collaborator uh, with Sauron and Morgoth uh, and then one who is sort of more subtly mind whammied uh, into betraying uh, uh, into betraying their kin when they uh, when they get out Um, uh, picking up on I mean it's like you know one paragraph in uh, the Silmarillion I've been doing my annual reread of the Silmarillion recently and just uh, this past week like got through the entire content of season five <laughs> in like the two or three chapters there um, but uh, but I was I was paying particular attention again as I went you know that like that one paragraph that talks about the situation you know about the um, the 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 problems of you know the, of those who um, that those who escaped faced because they faced so much suspicion because uh, often um, there, you know, had been uh, uh, serious problems when they uh, when when they appeared to escape. So the faked escapes and everything else and the ways in which, uh, you know, Morgoth was using this to uh, sow distrust uh, among the elves. Um, so we wanted to explore all of those, um, all of those different options. And this one now. So we have uh, three of those four characters involved, right? One of them is already dead. So like, we already had one of them. One of them was featured last season, um, which was Evelos, the wife of Angrod. Um, and she was the one who got mind whammied into becoming an active collaborator. Um, and uh, we have the, our, three, our other three main prisoner characters, uh, Diriel, uh, who is the wife of Kurofin. Right? Am, I rem- am I remembering that correctly? The wife of Kurofin, right? 
Yeah, and she's the one who's yeah. a prisoner and not going to get out. Um, and then we had uh, Anil, the gray elf, um, you know, the Sindar who is uh, – he's famous – his primary role in the text is that he's that sort of uh, loner gray elf who will take in Tuor eventually um, and kind of become Tuor's – well, not exactly foster dad, but he's going to shelter him, right, after his escape mm-hmm. in Dorloman. Um uh, so that's what he's going to be famous for down the road. Yeah, exactly. It's foster father. So we decided to uh, we decided to make him the one who is going to also be um, the unwitting agent uh, of Morgoth. Um, and then, of course, Rogren is the candidate that we decided for the one who actually escapes. Um, so Rogren's escape is the primary plot uh, of today, with and he's going to escape with Anil, um, and that's going to be cool. So that's our that's our our central thing, um, and it's connected with the C plot, uh, which is the introduction of the character of Hador. So we have young Hador. Hador is what, uh, like seventeen or something like that in this episode. Oh, Maturity, so you know, yeah. between seventeen and twenty, probably. Yeah. Right. So he's he is uh, a strapping, adventurous young lad uh, who is uh, you know heading out and um, has been recruited by Fingon and he's going to serve with the elves and he's going to end up assisting in the escape and uh, thereby earning his reputation among uh, Fingon and the elves of uh, Durlo- of 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 Hithlum. And then between those in the B plot, we have Haleth and the Haladine settling in Brethel. Remember, we finished episode five with Haleth and the Haladine emerging uh, from Nandan Gortheb, um, tra- traumatized and bloodied uh, as they come out uh, from the uh, horrible experience uh, of going through Nandan Gortheb and meeting Shelob and her siblings. Um, and uh, we are, uh, and then of course. She then moved on to the distinct pleasure of meeting Thingol uh, in his uh, first field trip in quite some time. So that's where we finished uh, episode five, and they're going to be the B-plot. I'm sort of wondering, Nick, I'm thinking about sequence. Should we talk about the A-plot and the C-plot sort of sequentially and then come back to the B-plot at the end? Um, What do you think? I would be totally fine with that. Um, Yeah. That sounds perfectly fine to me. I was just thinking, just given that the two, to, to kind of, that way we might be able to do, you know, I, on the offhand chance we don't get to all three of them tonight, um, that way at least we can kind of do the whole arc of the of the Rogren escape story uh, here right. tonight. And then if we need to yes. come back to finish up the story with Haleth next time, we can. All right. Okay, so, A-plot. So, Nick, tell us about some of the some of the larger kind of conceptual issues here as you were, as you guys were thinking through this, what were some of the, um, you know, both sort of positives and negatives, like some of the, you know, the positive things that you were wanting to do that you were thinking about you know, that you felt were really important to accomplish in this storyline and some of the things that you were kind of like concerned about or, you know, wanting to make sure to avoid. Right. So there's a, there's a few things. Um, the largest problems I think involved um, when we were going to get Hotwar involved towards the end of the plot, but mm-hmm. um, also we did a lot of thinking about what Deriel's role in this right. is. Right. 
because we one of the situation where she would have a certain level of plausible deniability mm-hmm. um, as kind of we set her up as kind of the the liaison between the elves the elvish prisoners and uh, the force of Angban. <clears throat> and so in order to um, to give her that plausible deniability she basically hands over the escape planning and execution to Rogren. Right. Um, she's not going to be personally involved. Uh, Rogren's going to handle the, the whole thing so that if she's asked, which I, I don't know anything about any escape right. plans. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I'm trying to remember where exactly we left her. I remembered that she was sort of, uh, you know, kind of. Morgoth has kind of made her into the like you know the foreman for person for elf mm. uh, of the prisoners right I mean she's she's sort of in charge um, what was he I I, I I'm, I'm I think I'm blanking on some of the details because he he had some leverage on her didn't he to kind of mm-hmm. force her into this role so she witnessed the original emplacement of the spell of the bottomless dread on Edelas right. And she saw that happen was like, yep, no, we're mm, mm, no. Um, so to avoid that, not only for herself, but also to perfect, protect the, right. the other people around here, or she made the decision, the unilateral decision, like, okay, we're better off doing work for them and serving them of our own free will rather than um, rather than getting our brains exploded from the inside right you know right so she's decided to so hers is a i mean it's basically a utilitarian decision i mean this is a really interesting question right because again this is just a wonderful example of the kind of thing that gets just mentioned in like a sentence in the silmarillion and there's obviously like if you were kind of on the ground right there would be this whole story behind it um that we never get and kind of have to imagine because we're told that there are noldor who are working for uh morgoth not only like in his minds but you know forging uh things for his uh for his servants like how does that come about how do they you know how does he get them to work for them? Because it's not like, I mean, he can hold them prisoner, right? But, uh, you know, can he force them to work? How does he force them to work exactly? Um, and how does that work? So trying to um, kind of get inside that and try to understand the position of someone who is... And Deriel was, she was she was a very strong character in season four. I mean, she was the leader of, of you know, she was the one who was uh, trying to uh, arrange uh, uh, escape attempts and things. She was, uh, uh, she was sort of taking care of folks and masterminding uh, the whole thing until Morgoth. And this was while Morgoth was gone, right? When he was off, um, you know, uh, seducing the fathers of humans. uh, And she was there, uh, you know, with the other prisoners with only Sauron in charge and to, and they were trying to escape. And then, yeah, then all of a sudden Morgoth comes back and lays the spell of bottomless dread on Edelos. And, um, and I remember, I remembered that she was basically kind of standing between Morgoth and the rest uh, of the elves. And he was, he basically gave her the choice, right? To say, like, either I'm going to, you know, 
I'm going to do this to every single one of you, or you're going to, you're going to either do this willingly, or you're going to, you're going to do this by force in the way that, um, I just showed you that I could do. Right. Isn't that pretty much how it worked? Yeah. They can, they can serve her willingly or they can choose the way of pain. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Um, and of course, you know, like I, I, in, in, as in many things, I'm I'm cribbing in a lot of ways here. You know, I'm heavily inspired here by the Great Escape, and kind of there's this sort of gentleman's agreement in the Great Escape between the commandant of the camp and between the the senior British officer mm-hmm. that eliminates that officer's ability to be involved in the escape attempt because he has to be able to be true to his word when talking to this other gentleman right right um and so he you know he appoints someone big x right to to run the escape attempt and in our case that's Rogren. right right Right. And of course, there, there, there are a couple interesting factors here, which are sort of parallel, right? On the one hand, um, she will abide by her word, right? Like she can be trusted, right? So, uh, you know, that is a thing that Morgoth knows well enough how to exploit, right? Um, mm-hmm. And of course, the answer to the you know one question, which obviously could be asked here, right, is why would Morgoth do this? Like, why wouldn't he just put the whammy on them? Like, wouldn't that be better? Uh, but the answer is no, because he knows that they, you know, the value of having Noldor slaves is to have them using their subcreative powers, right? right. Um, and if they are merely mindless slaves, if they are merely extensions of him, then he's not going to get um, then he's 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 not going to get the the work out of them, the quality of work out of them, because they can do amazing things. And and um, Steve H points out that there's a physical cost to him. I, I don't know how much he'd have to expend to you know on each individual elf um, but most assuredly if they have thousands of the of these guys I mean presumably he's like putting a ton of his power out into the orc population and yes like a whole bunch of, uh, of other stuff too so his whole R&D department yeah I mean th- exactly there's a lot of ways in which Morgoth is expending his power and himself right. um, but I do think it's interesting Stephen I think I mean I do think it's an interesting point that it, he would have there would be a calculation on Morgoth's mm-hmm. part I think still um, and I yeah. say still because there's going to come a point where he's going to be so far gone that I think he's not even making this kind of calculation so much anymore. Um, right. But I think he's not there yet. And I think that now he still would want to economize, <laughs> essentially, to sort of, you know, because he knows it it takes a lot out of him. Uh, again, as you say, Nick, it's not like it takes so much per elf uh, that he can't do it or, you know, would be loath to do it at, at, at need. Um, but yeah, if you can avoid it, why not? And again, and as I say, there's also a benefit, you know, then they're using their instead of just being his tools instead of just kind of channeling his power um they can be using their own very considerable power um in order to be bringing about uh you know great things so by the way that reminds me nick are we gonna come to a point it seems like we should right when somebody 
what are they doing? I mean, mining, right? But they're not just mining, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're also forging and things like somebody, right? Somebody yeah. has got to find, like one of the elves, like see on an orc or somebody, one of the captains of the orcs or something, something made by one of the Noldor, right? To recognize mm-hmm. that as Noldor work. Um, we've actually been discussing this for a while, the potential mm-hmm. of maybe somebody coming across a helmet with uh, with Diriel's name inside it, where right. she had actually signed her name to to let people know that she's still alive. Right. So if I would think she would do that. Us, yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that you know, um, we haven't had a ton of. Um, chance i don't think we're going to have a, even a chance to do that this season mm-hmm. um because the, the end of the battle scene that we're uh, that we're up against is so like it's going to be so tight yeah um yeah. but you know finding a chance to do that during um during season six you know if you if somebody even came who doesn't know who Diriel is like one right. of one of barry here's companions come across as it Sidereal, who's that? And throws. <laughs> well, right. I would, th- you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering. Is that wh- a little too, too MCU? <laughs> One of the things that I'm thinking about where we could possibly deploy this, it would be a delay, but you know, playing the long game is what we do. Right. Um, as part of the lead up to the near night Ornoidiad, I'm thinking, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in that, um, the, um, Contribute not exactly the same plot line, but like to or parallel to or kind of going along with somebody like Gwyndor's motivations, right? You know, Gwyndor, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, they're holding my, you know, they're holding my brother um, <clears throat> for for somebody to, you know, that. And remember, like, this comes from Mithros, right? Mithros is the mover of the, you know, so we've got this major Feanorian. It is the major Feanorian of, uh, offensive. So, like, what if one of the things that kind of happens through there is the discovery that they are there, even that Dirio herself is there? Um, and it, 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 I, I could see that coming in as a kind of a subplot leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So basically, the way that we engineered for the escape to begin, because we needed Deriel to be mm-hmm. on screen right away, we needed uh, Rogren to be on screen right away um, to to set them up as kind of the the co protagonists of that plot line, right? Um, and so um, Deriel gets news from one of the miners that hey. Um, we think we're getting pretty close to one of the exit tunnels, right? You know, those secret exit tunnels in and out of, uh, of Thangoradrim. Um, because presumably if they were just getting closer and closer to the surface, that would get discovered. Right. Right. Like that's right. obvious, yeah, but yeah. you have to do some pretty deep math to figure out, like we're getting suspiciously close to one of these other tunnels. Right. 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 Um, and so she just, drops by Rogren's shop and is like, hey, so um, here's this piece of information right. that you might find interesting. Right. And I don't want no to know anything reason. further about it. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and then she leaves, essentially, you know, leaving him with, to, to now follow up on this. 
Um, okay. So, Rogue, so how many total elves are escaping here? We were envisioning something on the order of two dozen. Not like a tremendous amount, but right. enough that it's... It's a, it's a substantive breakout, yeah. And it's enough that having them deal with like a patrol of orcs on their way out isn't unreasonable. Nobody's going to think that that's crazy that they they fought their way through to get out of the um, to escape from the uh, the mountain itself. <clears throat> right. Um, which does happen. You know, they they wind up miscalculating a um, a patrol. To this is our you know the third act turn right yeah you know? right um, so if you were watching Deep Space Nine right you get to you get to this <laughs> point in that and you're like oh okay they're gonna be okay because the, we're not we're not at the end of the episode right <laughs> right, right there's, there's uh, still twenty minutes to go so I, it's gonna... <laughs> I, I, I remember I remember these this conversation very well um, yeah but yeah so and they are so this raises an alarm, right? And so Deriel now has to act. And so she it, she in, uh, engages in a diversion completely unrelated, right? right? You know, it, it, something just happens, right? Yeah. You know, uh, a, uh, excuse me, a, a big vat of molten steel gets gets dropped off of its thing. Or, Could you happen know, to anybody. There's all kinds of things that can happen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are no giant, still mostly molten gold statues, obviously. <laughs> um, but it's enough to give uh, Rogren and the uh, the other escapees the breathing room they need to to make their escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they run into a new. Um, a new factor that they have not encountered before and nobody has really encountered them before and that being war riders out on the field of Argallon um, which I think uh, would cross the streams with the C plot there so do you have a, so maybe we should back up to anything else that you want to talk about as far as the escape itself what are we so how do we how are we handling the kind of dynamics between Rogrin and Anil? Like, what are we doing with Anil's character uh, leading mm-hmm. up to there? Is there any has there been any tampering with him? Is the audience suspicious of him at all? Is there any reason to be suspicious of him? The audience should not be suspicious of him. Um, we're going to reveal that he's a mole, but not until I think it's might be episode eight i don't remember off the okay. top of my head but it's either the next it's, it's within the next three episodes okay uh two to three episodes so um but he is one of rogren's trusted guys they were captured together right and rogren's like a big tough soldiery guy one imagines that his cell gets tossed like every other day right you know um and he um, so he's been kind of like siphoning off weapons and whatnot um, to to be used in a future escape attempt, and Anil's kind of been like sitting on his his stash for him, 
right? Because Anael is, you know, like, I wouldn't use the word dweeb, but in comparison to Rogren. Well, comparison to Rogren, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Anael has been a bit, he's, he's been kind of clueless from the beginning. I mean, we first met him going on yeah. the picnic with his family in Hardgallen, but like on the battlefront, right? Not really, you know, being aware of his surroundings. Right. So yeah. So I mean, that's that's been his, you know, the the, the impression we've had of him from the start. Um, right. But you know, hapless, little hopeless, but you know, looked after by Rogren. So he's the kind of I don't know, he's gonna gonna be the sort of weaker, younger brother yeah. figure to Rogren. Well, plucky. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Um. And certainly seasoned by, you know, one would think seasoned by this horrible experience. Um, right. So, you know, right. we will see him as certainly as he's, you know, fighting alongside Rogren and, and, and fighting their way out. A very different guy than the guy who was picnicking with his family when we first met him yeah. back before. And we want to make sure that we show because the level of distrust that we see in the Silmarillion towards people who escape from Angban right. moving forward is so intense that we wanted to show how deep that betrayal must have felt. And right. to do that, we want to make sure that Anael is deep in their counsels, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He is involved in this escape attempt. He becomes one of Fingolfin's trusted um, ministers in some way. Um, right. Later on, he's president at critical meetings. Mm-hmm. And we're going to show just how how dangerous this is you know this wasn't just some rando yeah that yeah. that we're getting here this is somebody who is go- whose intelligence is going to matter right exactly and as you say to because we want to paint the picture i mean again although we only get that one paragraph on it uh in the silmarillion it paints a really dark and bleak uh, picture of the the kind of the life of paranoia and um, you know people who are families you know who have like their long lost you know family members escaping against all odds out of Angband only to return home and to be like chased off, you know, um, yeah. and refused entry into their own homes uh, by their families because their families are so concerned that they've been turned by Morgoth and are going to be, I mean, that's, that's a, that's, that's a really, uh, you know, it's a pretty big effect, right? It's, 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 a, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge effect. So this, this, this has to be something that does, I agree, have to be very salient. And the first one already was, right? Ethelos was bad enough. Um, yeah. Though in some ways, that one was a little... Uh, well, we knew. We knew that. Well, that yes, we that, didn't get to feel that betrayal. Exactly. Whereas in this case, we will. Right. You know? And the other thing that I was wondering, because um, I'm not remembering how the the kind of denouement from this went. Did everybody know? I, I, I mean, Angrod knew, right? So I mean, with that horrible moment when, when Angrod knew that Edelos had betrayed them, did everybody know? No. Yeah, no, so I, that, that wasn't really that public. I mean, it was, right. but it wasn't in the – it was in the middle of the battle and nobody knew what happened, right? Right, right. And so, you know, we're getting to feel this betrayal alongside the elves. This is kind of the same thing as, you know, when Edelas was captured originally right. and, and right. when Sauron's with her. We get to experience that betrayal along with her right. so that 
um, so that her future actions feel more more visceral. Right. 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 But yeah, with Ethelos, it was a big deal. I mean, obviously what happened with Ethelos was a huge deal and a huge deal for the experience of the viewers and their understanding of the situation with Morgoth. But um, but as I say, uh, not as far as like the cultural impact on the elves of Beleriand broadly mm-hmm. uh, so much. So it, it is another reason why this one has to be really, this is going to, this needs to be a doozy and to create that kind of paranoia. Um, right. uh, that's going to, that that's... It's, it's going to support that and make that happen. Okay, cool. Um, uh, so, right, before we get to the warg riders, let's jump to the C-plot here. Okay. Okay, so we have back to the Edine. Um, and uh, so, Nick, you guys decided to do something different about Estelad, right? Yeah, so we um, we took a little bit of inspiration from like a Viking thing where it's something that happens every few years. I think, like and the old thing, are, right? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there are cultural practices that that um that are engaged in on uh, during this gathering, uh, including a, a coming of a coming of age kind of uh, rite that that the young men go through. Um, tr- people are engaged in trade. You're getting news from the, from the other encampments and whatnot. So this is the encampment, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody lives. They have this kind of um, nomadic herding uh, lifestyle that they're that they're engaged in normally, and then every few years they get together for what a month or something like that to have the estalade. Yeah, right. I I really like this a lot. Actually, um, I think this really accomplishes a lot of fun things. First of all, I do really enjoy that parallel. Um, but one of the one of the dangers of Estelad, just as like a stable city, you know, of the Adine there, is that it it creates the situation um, where you have. Um, where it feels like they're all in one enclave, like they're all gathered together in one enclave behind their walls, um, which is, I mean, it's not a horrible effect. Like, you, you can definitely work with that. But if they're out ranging around, like if normally they're out ra- ranging around, it renders more urgent the question of how do you interact with your neighbors, right? And it picks up on what we've already done with the green elves, right? And they've already had an issue with neighbors, right? With elvish neighbor, neighbors and their herds and stuff like that, right? So we know that there's there's reason to think that this is going to be an issue. So um, if they are more geographically spread and even wandering around, it's obviously going to be an important question. It's going to be, it, it's, it's, it is a, a more, um, a more, Obviously, crucial issue. Like this is this is this is a, a problem that must be solved, an issue that must be faced. Like, how are they going to be connected? What are the elves going to do about this? How are they going to relate to the elves? It's not. Just, whereas, again, if they're all just gathered in one comparatively small city, surrounded by massive plains with no, which is like you know where Estelad is on the map, right? If I if I uh, uh, just go back here for a second to the map, um, you know, so like Estelad, I mean, there's, there's a lot of open space. Around here, yeah. right? I mean, there's Doriath, of course, and Nine Elmoth, but I mean, there's no like. I mean, look how far away they are from Helivorn, right? Look how far away mm-hmm. they are from Himring. I mean, it's it's 
so yeah, so if we're picturing like a, a a little walled city of humans here minding its own business and staying behind its walls, um, it looks like it's a non-issue, right? But if they're roaming all over the place and they're spreading out over the you know all these lands and then only gathering together, so that's one thing that I like about it is that it uh, it it makes when we're gonna you know be getting together to have you know the estelad as uh, as we say and, and i like how that how we've shifted that noun um mm. uh when when we have the estelad later on um it's going to be more obvious why this should be an issue and and, and why it's, but right. the other thing i like about it um is uh, i do like what it does with that noun I, I i like that that sense of by building up the gathering so that the council when the council happens doesn't seem weird right like it's like right we've already established this is a kind of thing that happens it's just they're going right. to have a more important one than usual because they will come to a yes. place where they've decided they have to make some decisions about what they're doing exactly and one thing that we're we're doing here is like like future like middle earth historians and archaeologists would call this the astolod culture right? right so it's still the astolod people right right you know um right but, it's still uh, the people of Estelad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, which, which is fun. I, I enjoyed that. Um, so one of the things that um, that we're doing here, something that, and we um, we kind of took inspiration from uh, certain Gallic uh, rituals that uh, I think Caesar writes about them in, in um, the Conquest of Gaul, and, um, in, and where where the young men go through this ordeal right where they have to like make their way through like this thorny thicket and you know and do like martial exercises inside this thicket to show that they are um that they're able to move around quickly and and uh, acrobatically and, and whatnot you know because obviously you know we we all we've all heard stories about Celts running naked into battle right right which sounds like a terrible idea. It really does. It always has sounded like a terrible idea. Um, but um, this is based on this, and because they're they're herders, um, and of course the the idea that the um, the people of the Estelad are kind of like cowboys in this way didn't occur to me until maybe a week or two ago. But um, they are a horse culture. Mm-hmm. Right, um, which is which is why when we see them on horseback later later on, it's not it's not that weird, right? right. Um, and we know that they are a horse culture when they're living in Dorloman, mm-hmm. right? So it makes sense that they already were that, right? And so there's a you know there's a horse race involved. There is you know spear throwing involved all kinds of good stuff um one of the things that we did and this is again based um inspired by um the video that i told you about with tom shippy i don't know if you got a chance to check it out yet but like one of the one of the uh young men gets like super injured right like i forget exactly what we had happened to him but like like gets a huge thorn like through his hand or something like that and everybody laughs because that's hilarious right (laughs) Right. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, but Hador doesn't win and so he his expectations of 
what life was going to be like when he was an adult mm -hmm. or not met. Okay. Um, so we're starting off with a, a, a talented, high promise, but slightly disappointed Hador, basically. Yes. Yes. And, and um, comparatively, at least by his standards, underachieving. Right. We wanted to give him a reason why he he goes and completely you, he he goes off and follows this elf lord because we had to do this very quickly. We didn't right. have enough. We <laughs> like if we had a whole episode with Hanor, we could have done some other things with him. But I feel like right. we had to. Um, we had to do this super fast right but right. i think i but but I, I think i can see the logic there right he he's he's imagining himself establishing himself as like future leader of the people right and now mm -hmm. like but he's not coming so but he, he he expects to win and by winning establishing himself in that way right, right? but he doesn't win right. he's coming second and now you know so he's not looking anymore forward to a future of like obvious leadership and now he's imagining being shunted to the mm -hmm. side but here's this other chance to prove himself and um you know his future here is less bright than he thought it was and so yeah. might as well yeah and I he mean, doesn't that make sense be different right you know like it's it's like somebody graduating high school right like something happened right right something's different you you're you're expected to act differently you're right. not going to this place anymore every day but you don't feel any different you're still the same person mm -hmm. you know and so it's a it's a very weird kind of experience and you know we wanted Hador to have that experience as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so fingen who's been studying them right he's been studying the 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 men of the humans of Astalad uh, for a while, and he has kind of come to the conclusion that the best use for them is to put them right at the front. Mm -hmm. Right, if he can get them right in the front, they will get the opportunities to do to to live out their lives while contributing. And by right at the front, you mean up in the north, right? He wants to bring right. them up north. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we gave him this insight that nobody really has kind of latched onto yet. That they have to, they have to act right. in the time that they have, right. or their lives just disappear. Right. You know, I, I wonder if um, we could even have. I, mean, I don't know. It might be awkward to work into you know dialogue or whatever. But I'm just thinking of the thinking of the elf human perspective questions that we've been discussing recently again mm -hmm. and imagining Fingen standing there watching this coming of age ritual right yeah. 18 year olds coming of age right and and like yeah. what his perspective on that would be like 18 are yeah. you kidding me like what do you know he's not in diapers anymore but seriously mm -hmm. like barely out of diapers and yet uh, so t t to see him kind of processing yeah things are different like they you know they're 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 um you know, Hador is uh, really young from elf standards. He's still a child, you know, uh, uh, and yet he would process. Like, not only is he uh, an adult now, but, I mean, <laughs> the path from here to, like, being past fighting age is not, that, is not that far, right? By the time 
humans get to the, you know, and I'm imagining him like also talking to one of the other human leaders or something, like a 60 year old guy, for instance, right? And elves come of age at around 50. Right. So he's sort of talking to the like this guy whom he would consider like, OK, now this guy is an adult, but he's retiring. <laughs> right. You know, and, and he would be saying like, oh, yes. Uh, you know, like the 60 the, the year old guy would be like, oh, yes, I, I'm not as fast as I used to be. Like my fighting days are behind me. And, you know, just to, to see, I mean, finger, that would be hard. Right. That'd be, that would be really to, to understand, like the window. Right. That humans have right. for this kind of for this kind right. of action. Well, that's one of the, one of the things that we've been working on with Fingen is that he has a unique insight in these humans because he's been observing them now for what a hundred years, right? Or so he's right. just been studying them. We're, we're right. Fingen the anthropologist, right? Right. And so he's been been watching them, so he knows all this stuff at this point, right? Right. Right. Um, and we we've been working him towards a lot of these realizations along the way as well, right, especially right. like with the death of Bayor and whatnot. Yeah, I was thinking about the death of Bayor. Yeah. Um, so he recruit he tries to recruit a bunch of these guys to go, and Hador jumps at the opportunity. Right, like one would imagine that that Hador, had he been in uh, in Tennessee when. Um, when Daniel Boone was looking for people to go into Kentucky, he was right. like, yeah, yep, that sounds, <laughs> right. yep, that's, I'm, right. I'm in. Right. Right. Um, so they, they set off because of time constraints, we did kind of have to buddy sled, bunny sled them up North a little bit, but right. we established at the, be- we established at the beginning of the episode during the conversation between Daryl and Rogram, what the, the time span of the episode is mm-hmm. so i'm mm-hmm. not super worried about that right because again from the elf standpoint it can be fairly slow moving you know the like right. uh, the whole the escape is imminent could i mean it could be imminent a year and a half in advance right. <laughs> exactly. so yeah yeah um okay so question what is hador's status in his band of 30 to 40 is he a leader among them is he is he not is is the guy who beat him with them, or did he stay? No. He stayed. He stays behind. Um, and in fact, I think we actually do use him during the, the council. council. Yeah, during right. the council. Right. If I, if I remember, I I maybe just remembering an idea that we came up with, but I think okay. that's well. No, that would make some good sense. I mean, having yeah. established him as essentially a rival of Hador to be able mm-hmm. to take advantage of that later on makes sense. Uh, Thorn guy. Thorn hand comes it comes with him though okay. so that he is a, a recognizable person that we that you know we can right we have human companion in arms of Hador so right yeah we can establish um, Hador's relationship with his companions through that person as well as his relationship with Fingen right. yeah sure so you know these guys probably are mostly uh, relatively disaffected not. I'm not saying like these are the outcasts of the of the culture or anything like that, but they you know life isn't what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're they're you know no one ever told them life was going to be this way, right? Um, so they're going to you know they they go with Fingen, and Fingen um, takes them up to 
the uh, the the outpost, right? That was originally the the newly rebuilt outpost that had been burned down by Glaurung back in the oh, right. back in the previous the one season. that was the one that got sacked by Glaurung on on the plane, right? Right. right. Okay. Right. Um, and so you know, they've the not yet seen like the glory and splendor of the homes of the Noldor yet. Right. Okay. Right. It would have been nice to do something like that, but we don't have time. And and Fingen feels the pressure of time right on these guys also so he you know he's been traveling with like a lieutenant this whole time and so they get up to this uh this location and his lieutenant's like all right so like what are we going to do with these guys things like well not me you (laughs) you're in charge of them i have i have prince things to do (laughs) right right enjoy right right um because we had to get fingin out of there Right, he can't be there for for these guys to shine. That's right. not a the, right, you know. Right. Okay. Um, now I have a couple questions. So yeah, first, um, I meant to ask this before, but I forgot. Um, horse culture. You said yes. Um, yes. I am assuming that we're going to have a significant difference in horses between their horse. So, like, are we thinking something like? Um, you know the Noldor are you know like the horse the horses of the Feanorians, which were then given to Fingen as well, um, are like you know large Arabian quarter horse types, and the people are riding like Icelandic ponies, basically something something in in that neighborhood, right? Yeah. You know, like one would imagine that uh, the Noldor, specifically Kelgorm, Kelgorm's running around with a big big division of heavy cavalry right? right every everybody's got one of those presumably you know right if, you know finrod probably has one you know fingolfin has one and whatnot but they're not in comparison you know the size of kelgorm because all of kelgorm's guys are, right. are heavy horse right this is definitely a light horse group right yes. This yeah. is this is our light cavalry, light cavalry skirmishing kind of yeah exactly yeah. right yeah these guys are not driving headlong into Pike Squares so that is not a thing right. that's going to yeah. happen no, here. definitely not definitely not but yeah and and also I mean it would seem also to fit I mean I'm so I'm I'm just kind of I'm kind of imagining um, the scene with the Elf Commander right who is not only going to I mean he might literally not know what to do with, like tactically not know what to do with them. Right. I mean, like what's like, what, what use are they going to be? Right. These, you know, practically unarmed, um, you know, guys riding these tiny little shaggy horses yeah, who, right. you know, like what, what on earth are we going to be able to account? Like, how am I supposed to deploy them even like what's, right. what's going to happen here? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, like obviously these guys don't come with their own armor right you know they you know they may have two or three swords among them right you know everybody else is is carrying and the they're gonna be ridiculously crude in comparison to anything yeah. the noldor are making yeah yeah i mean now we've been establishing that these these men are engaged in trade with other cultures mm-hmm. um at this point there's probably some metallurgy going on you know there's maybe a couple of smiths among the the people of Astalad. Right. Um but they're a nomadic culture. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. they're not stopping to you know to you know to build an entire forge setup and whatnot. Right. We're talking about small portable forges 
and bloomeries to get to get your steel going so and presumably uh, they could trade with the dwarves for stuff yes i would imagine yep. the dwarves would probably value um like you know meat from their herds uh right, right would be a commodity that the dwarves would be interested in so i'm Absolutely. sure they can get some dwarf stuff um but mm-hmm. yeah i mean but sure and but these guys right i mean this this is the this is the jv squad anyway of the humans right, right. i mean they're, exactly. they're like just of age so you know yeah. yeah we're not talking about the the i mean they've not been doing much uh trade with no. the dwarves no no um you know and so they're up there at this outpost and they they get word that they're have they've been finding wolf tracks around like large amounts of wolf tracks and um Hador seizes the opportunity right he goes up to the officer who's been put in charge of and says, hey hey um hey why don't uh my guys go out and take a look and see what's going on and the guy's like hunting oh, wolves sure, it, that yeah, they can do they, right this is this yeah, is go, yeah yeah they have experience yeah, knock with yourself this. out kid right, right, I, right. I i i have grown-up things i gotta do here <laughs> right um and so hador goes off in, in search of the wolves which turn out to be the war riders who have beset rogren and his uh his companions uh, his mm-hmm. companions his escapees um so we get uh we get to in the denouement go to Baradethel. Hador gets the dragon helm. Um, the uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, on Isles reunited with his family, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, but and Fingen and Fingolfin is also there because we wanted to show Fingolfin because this isn't just a win for Hador, it's also a win for Fingen, right. Because right. This was his. This is his baby, right? The, his the whole project yeah. is his baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is a justification of the entire concept of let's recruit the humans to come. Like they, they really do mm-hmm. have something to offer. Um, right. Look what they can accomplish, even under these circumstances when they are underarmed and uh, you know un- untrained, you know, in the yes. ways of elvish warfare. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was important for us um, due to something that we had going on with the um, with the frame story, which we may or may not get into, for there to be behind every man of action, behind every person of action, there is a person of words mm-hmm. behind the scenes ensuring that things work out. Um, so while it's great that Hanor pulled off this upset, right? Without thinking, none of that happens. Right, 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 right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, tell me more about. Um, first off, tell me about the Warg Riders. Um, so this is a new thing, right? We've had the mm-hmm. wolves before, and the wolves many times. In fact, like most notably, we've had Keligorm against the wolves way back at the mm-hmm. very beginning. We've yeah. had, of course, most notably the wolves uh, playing an enormous role in sacking the Phallus, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is this is the very first time that we're introduced to war Riders. It's a small group. Mm-hmm. It's not a tremendous amount of them. 
you know, Rogren has a couple of dozen people with him. They probably lose a couple to the patrols mm -hmm. as they're escaping. Um, but there's enough of these war riders where Rogren and his guys on foot can't handle them. Right. Right. Um, because it, not because the orcs, <laughs> right. But because the wolves. Right. Right. You know, right. Um, yeah. The, the two, too mobile, too fast moving, and they can't possibly escape. Uh, that, right. I mean, that would be the, the the clearest thing, right? Would be that escape is hopeless. Um, right. Between the speed of the wolves and the ability to track them, like there's right. there's no hope. Of, no matter what they do, they could not possibly get away from these uh, from these guys. Um, so I like that element of it. Um, are these going to be new? The riders, the warg riders, are they going to be new, like a new? Um, one of the things like that I'm a, new imagine, a, a new breed of orc kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, is this going to be an opportunity where we're going to be showing, um, like deliberate diversification of the orcs because the, the orcs have been relatively uniform, uniform yeah. until yeah. this point. Um, I had not thought of that in this case. I know that I had been thinking that when Sauron becomes the Dark Lord, that's something that he mm -hmm. does all the time. Right. 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 Um, I don't see a reason why it couldn't happen here. Um, but if we wanted to maintain that as a as an innovation right. of Dark Lord Sauron. Right. Right. It, that's certainly something we could do as well. OK. Yeah. So that was leading me to my next question about them, which is who's. Who, who's who's their boss? They serve under Bulldog, and therefore under Gothmog, or are they? The, I mean, because because like wolf, orcs have been primarily Gothmog, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. and Bulldog, and wolves have been primarily Sauron. So, right, you know, right. how do we? And not that we have to explain it, but like, how are we right. imagining this? So, because so. What I am imagining is that Sauron is trying to integrate the people working under him with the main military forces of Angban. Mm -hmm. um, and we may have to I've, – I've been thinking a lot about this and trying to figure out ways to – have it come up in dialogue so at least some mention of this is made right um so it's not too weird i mean you'd have to you'd have to be a pretty a, a pretty dedicated viewer to be asking this question, this question i imagine right yeah yeah but i i i want this to be a show that's that's made for that kind of <laughs> that, viewer too. that rewards yeah. dedicated viewers exactly yes exactly um so um, we, well, and we it's do just, want it's interesting just you've just for our purposes to think about where this fits into Sauron's story arc, uh, you know, right. really, right? I mean, is he, he's, because he's, one of the tensions that we've shown, I mean, we've sort of established him as, we've, you know, for a while ago, established him as the cunning plotter while, mm -hmm. you know, Gothmog is the blunt instrument. Um, but we were also showing in season four that he was um, questioning even the question is beginning to arise is 
Morgoth less subtle than Sauron, right? That that yeah. Sauron himself is 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 you know because like, we were beginning to plant the very beginnings of that, right? Of his uh, doubts about Morgoth, um, and so I'm trying to think now. On the one hand, he is continuing his. Um, we, we the primary thing that we've shown this season has been the failed uh, orc assault. Right, that led to um, uh, the the with the Haladin, right at the at the, yeah. the stockade. Um, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, and so what we established at the end there—that was, if I'm remembering correctly, that was the last bad guy scene that we had on screen, right? And yep. so we last saw Sauron mocking, you know, mm-hmm. the orcs who were on, you know, uh, you know, bulldog um, for his failed plan um mm-hmm. to uh uh to invade and therefore you know his Sauron's critique of Gothmog for his poor planning uh and in what he not only failed to accomplish but how the whole thing sort of backfired on him um so if he's now like I can imagine reasons why Sauron might be kind of playing with the team in a different way, right? Or to a different extent now. Do we see this as him trying to move in on the operations, right? Getting his people kind of on the inside, like ma- making himself more essential so that he can supplant Gothmog as primary, you know, general of the forces kind of deal? So I think an easy way to set something like that up, because I think that's a that's a good solid idea is to have and we'd have to kind of like backfill this into the episode four mm-hmm. um but to have during that conversation that you're mentioning having it end with siren say you know what i'm gonna throw you a bone right. <laughs> i'm gonna send you some help right right and he looks over to the side and droggle and comes Drogl- like in, comes out in, of the yeah. shadows yeah, into, the, yeah. into the frame right yeah um yeah. And that will – so I feel like that would be enough to support what we're seeing here where it's not – right. like it's understandable what's going on. Right, exactly. And and it would show that this was not a capitulation by Sauron but but part of a plan. We don't have to spell what the right. plan is, right? But yes. just to, to show that this is the next stage. And of course, to me, that fits really, really well because, of course, one of the things that he was critiquing was just how ridiculously ham-handed the stockade assault was. Like, let's, yeah, let's send yes. in a bunch of, you know, orc infantry behind enemy lines to make them stir up trouble, which is only going to serve to, you know, solidify the connections among our enemies. Um, right. Uh, and has almost no chance of a Accomplishing anything significant anyhow, especially given that they were invading right behind the lines of the elves with all the cavalry. Right. So like, you know, one band, as as we saw, right, one band of Feanorians on horseback, you know, can just like mop the floor with this group of orcs on foot. Um, So, look, if you want a roving band of orcs who's going to stir up some trouble and cause difficulties, right? Then let's do it this way, right? This is obviously the plan. So, um, uh, and, uh, and especially again, since we did last see, um, the orcs resounding, resoundingly defeated there because they had no cavalry and were helpless against cavalry. Um, 
uh, yeah, th that would be logical here as well. Yeah. Now, in this situation, the orcs are themselves outnumbered, um, which is, uh, you know, a little weird for them, right? Like, right. wait a minute, <laughs> how could this possibly happen? Um, but, I mean, hey, humans, mm, right. um, we make more of ourselves. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so this is, but this is going to be very, very different from when we see masked ward writers right. during the 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 Dagobragalak like that's going to be a very very different animal yeah um and you can kind of just imagine and and I can you know if Kelgorm and Kurfin with heavy cavalry are like have just broken through a a, a formation of infantry mm -hmm. so that they're not actually mobile and they get hit at that point mm -hmm. with it with a charge from war right like that's devastating yeah yeah so yeah 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 no that'll be it'll be that'll be really fun ways to deploy that because as you said we are going to have to show um the defeat of the feanorian cavalry um, and it has to happen not only by dragon <laughs> right <Yes. laughs> so yeah yeah um it has to be more than just a dragon and Balrog problem. Now, uh, the Warg Riders, are they... I mean, I assume that the Warg Riders are themselves relatively light infantry, right? I mean, this is, these are yeah. not going to be really heavily armed. It's just armed. a scout group. Right. 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 It's a scout group. So how are we imagining them armed and armored? They they have... Um, what do they have? Missile weapons? Are they are they are they throwing things? Are they uh, are they using bows? What are they doing? The orcs. So... I would say that at the point at which we see them, they're really toying with the elves, right? Because right. um, they know they can't escape. And right, yeah, they, right. they, so they will even, even be they able to see bows, their escaped prisoners. Not, right. right, even if they have bows, we may not be showing them using them because right. um, it's not going to. Um, it's 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 just it's not as fun, right? Right, right, um, right. So showing them actually like riding in circles around them and and taunting them and and, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, just uh, th this would be this would be play for them. About how many of the orcs? Um, I would say there's there's probably between twenty to thirty of them. Okay, you know, like enough right. that you know twenty under armed and possibly uh, under armed and overworked elves right. aren't going right. to be able to On do foot. what they yes. would normally do. Right. Exactly. In rags, mostly without real weapons, you know, like holding, right. um, mining tools and things like that. Like, so yes, like, uh, Noldor in rags holding a shovel, right. Is what they're, is what they're fighting against. So, um, yeah. Okay. Okay, um, so <clears throat> all right, so they they're going and but, but they would and, and so they would have what they would have swords they would um, uh, yeah okay swords spears um, you know um, axes would their mace. intent be to recapture them or 
I feel like if this is a roving band of orcs, they they might not even intend to recapture them. Right. They would just they would just kill for sport first and ask questions about what they should right. have done right. second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's actually not a bad moment to sort of emphasize the you know, uh the cruelty. The cruelty of the orcs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is just this is not just the orders that they're operating under. This is just who they are. Yeah, so I yeah. think I think that is a good opportunity for that. Um okay. Um and Good. Now, so when Hador and his men get there, they are about equal in numbers to the orcs? Um, I I would actually think that they – because they were also not super heavily armed and whatnot. I would say that they they probably outnumber them um, because they have to put them to flight, right? Right. You know, they they can't have like a a big throwdown with these guys. Right, right. Um, I mean, the, the mere fact that other cavalry shows up, mm-hmm. you know, is is a big plus. But having it, um, because having them outnumber the orcs shows how big of a game changer the rival humans is. Right, right, right. Okay, so you're imagining then not actually a really big fight just sort of a charge and they drive them off. Essentially. Yeah. The, like the big, the, the, the heavier part of the scene is the lead up to it. Right. And right. then Hador and his guys show up there, you know, there's a fight, but we don't want to, we don't want to linger on the fight too much. Like, right. you know, again, we, we have, we're getting into the last, what this happens within the last 10 minutes of the episode, I think. Right. right if memory right. serves. So, yeah. I am, I am, I am picturing, maybe it's because of the Viking stuff that you were talking about earlier, but I'm totally imagining them throwing hand axes at the orcs now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm that, fine that, with that. that that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of the image that's in my head of like the, you know, the orcs riding around and taunting and then all of a sudden, you know, um, Axe wielding and hurling uh, 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 humans on shaggy little horses come charging. And they're in. herders too, right? Like it wouldn't be yeah. un- it wouldn't be unthinkable for uh, for there to be a lasso or two involved too. Mm-hmm. Like that would be mm-hmm. awesome to just you know they get a lasso on uh, on an orc and just drag him right off of his ward. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. No. Exactly. They're 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 herders, and you know that like wolves are the natural enemy of like herd animals. So like hunting wolves, they're used to that and their horses would be used to that too. So even though these wolves will be something more than they're used to, um, it's still kind of a day at the office as far as they're concerned, not so much the orcs, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So this would definitely be kind of uh, uh, playing to their strengths. Um, uh, And, and that would be, and that would be fun to show. Um, how do we have um i assume obviously rogren is going to uh you know pitch in when they show up so i mean is he going to be leading a, a counterattack too what, what kind yeah. of a uh interaction between rogren and hador are we imagining here in the well rogren's this is the first time rogren's ever seeing humans right, right? um <laughs> so he's going to be all kinds of confused yeah <laughs> 
Right. I was you? I was not without hope that we might be suddenly rescued, but that was not what I was expecting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Hador can uh, deliver some sort of like, uh, like o- almost like a like a boastful introduction, mm-hmm. like um, y- you know, like like wind in wind in his hair. Right. Uh from uh from uh what's it called Dances with Wolves. Right? <laughs> like I am I am hot or you know yeah. you know, whatever. And um yeah but in, in a language that Rogren can't understand, right? Um <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. So I I think it would be actually if if they can't un if Hador is speaking uh, is literally speaking a language that Rogren can't understand. I feel like that makes the interaction even better because yes, yes. even more perfect, more mm-hmm. perfectly capturing because, the moment there. Right, um, because Hador is a great warrior, you know, mm-hmm. and having even Rogren, who we know as a great warrior you know, look up to him from being on the ground with respect, I think is, I think that would be great. I think that yeah. would. Yeah. Um, and we've sort of, we got to, we have to, we have to fall in love with Hador as a, as a war leader. Right. Immediately. Right. Right. Um, and by the way, I, we skipped over this before, but we have like reestablished Rogren's like immensely yeah. formidable prowess, right? So, because yes. yes. one of the things that I'm thinking again, long game here, long game. Um, I'm with Rogram. I'm always thinking about his final charge, right, in mm-hmm. the fall of Gondolin. Um, and so we can totally, um, not foreshadow that, but like when they come upon the unexpected orc patrol in the tunnels, right? Um, Obviously, what has to happen is Rogren leads an apparently suicidal charge with his huge hammer right into the teeth uh, of yep. these well-armed orcs and, you know, uh, bowls his way through and takes them all out in, yeah. in ways which are going to be very parallel to what he's going to end up doing in Gondolin, right? Yeah, Stephen H. would uh, would be very unhappy with me, if, I'm, I think, if I did not mention the scene at the end of Rogue One where Darth Vader shows up in the corridor and does just that. And I think that having Rogren do a scene like that on his way out and didn't we um, didn't we cast the Punisher? We did. We absolutely I mean, did. Yeah, in my still my, my favorite piece of casting in all of film film, yes, we did. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a close second to 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 Tulkas played by the Rock. I mean, and that's also pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just the thought of Tulkas doing the eyebrow thing that the Rock oh, does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Take my money. Take my money. Make the show and take my money. Um, yeah. Anyway. But so, yeah, no. Yeah. So I mean, I just I I I I love the opportunity to establish that. You know, which which not only makes his. 
Uh, because, you know, w- with the parallels, right, you know, with the goblins, you know, the, the orcs closing in on Gondolin and everything and the, like, you know, the, the, the desperate escape attempt, right? I mean, it's, um, it will make that moment so much more poignant, you know, to have mm-hmm. these parallels and not only having seen him do exactly this before under apparently worse potential circumstances and succeed, right, uh, right to have both the... Uh, the sort of the wistful memory of triumphs past and also like the desperate hope that maybe it will actually work, right? Making, uh, you know, his ultimate destruction even more, uh, uh, even more sad and tragic. Um, anyway, yeah, I just, yeah. So obviously need to make sure we, uh, we do that. So it'll be like Darth Vader in Rogue One, except not fighting guys who are like cowering behind walls, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of imagining, uh, uh, I'm sort of imagining Rogrin, uh, uh, as the bowling ball, uh, and the orcs as the pins, right. As he goes through there. Um, yeah, no, cool. Okay. So, so Rogrin now, you know, you know, piling in on the side, you know, uh, meets and, and certainly, you know, respects Hador. And I, I, I love the idea that like the two of them can't communicate at all. Right. But like both of them would clearly respect one another. Right. Yeah. immediately and without words um at yes. the end of that battle um would would Anil be somebody so there should be i mean like we established with um with finrod for, i mean finrod of course had the whole like telepathy going on which is uh cheating but um uh I mean, not cheating by us, cheating by uh, by by Finrod. Um, but there's that whole the business about the similarity with the languages and stuff. Like I'm imagining, like maybe Anil or somebody being able to like parse together a word or two, you know, a broken word or two, to be able to try to communicate something. Um, well, we don't we don't come back to them for another scene until. Um until they get to Baradathel. Mm-hmm. So there's not the, a tremendous yeah, amount of time. Opportunity. Okay. All right. 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 Just wondering. Um, and once they get to Baradathel, Fingen's there and he speaks the language. Right. So we're... Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just kind of picturing Anil. <clears throat> and I think I was also kind of picturing your um, Anil as man of words behind man of action uh, there as well as the other thing yeah, I was yeah. thinking of. but. Yes, but that's fine. Um, I understand the well, for, economies of the scene. Yeah, for for Rogren, the the person of of uh, of words is Dirio. Right, right, right. Uh, without her, none of that happens. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. And so, now tell me about the, um, tell me about the dragon helm kind of ceremony. So they come back, right? So the next scene we get is them arriving at Baradithal and, you know, they're arriving with the prisoners and uh, there is uh, delight at the return of Rogrin, especially. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that, by the way, would also be, I mean, talk about, <clears throat> talk about ways to win over the hearts of the you know, the soldiery of the Noldor up there, like you mm-hmm. rescued their captain, you know, from, yes. uh, from oh, holy yeah. cow. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's his ticket right there. Right. So one of the things that, um, that well, obviously having on reunited with his family was yeah. super important. Um, 
his son is Fingon's herald at this point, mm-hmm. so he's right there, and you know, and that's you know, that's great. Having Fingolfin, you know, showing pride in his son in mm-hmm. addition, because what it's working, right? Right. The right. lesson that he learned from Beor is working. Right. Um, right. And this, again, you, you know, both Fingon and Fingolfin are learning stuff from humans that's allowing all this to take place. Right. right. Um, and, I really and, like that dynamic of it, by the way. I think that's a really, really smart thing to be doing. It is so easy to imagine the humans as always the younger brothers, right? Always the, mm-hmm. the, 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 um, they're the ones being elevated. They're the ones being brought, you know, uh, brought up. They're the yeah. ones being taught um, by the elves. Um, and I really love the way in which we've really deliberately worked in that, you know, there are many yeah. things that the elves are learning from yeah. the humans. And I'll tell you, you know, it's really interesting about this season because, like, I have always found the humans in the Of Men chapter of the Silmarillion to be extremely forgettable like mm-hmm. i mean yeah i remember Hador, and of course you remember Beor and halleth and whatnot yes but as cultures it it's very easy to kind of yes forget about them because the stories aren't about that right. you know yes all the great tales ultimately are about human characters or partially human characters and whatnot mm-hmm. but when the humans got on the scene in our story, I found that they were a lot more relatable right. than I thought they were. Right, right. Because they're us. Like, their struggles are our, our struggles. Yeah, right. we're removed by those kinds of struggles by, a, a, you know, a thousand years or so. Right. But it's way easier to understand what they're going through mm-hmm. than it is for the for us to, when we're looking at the elves and I've just been, I've enjoyed working through their stories this season so much um, in ways that I, I didn't realize was going to happen. Yeah. It, it, it is really neat. And one of the other, one of the, the side effects of that, which I think is really, really cool since season two, the elves have been the characters that our viewers have related to. Right. You know, it was the Valar in season one. And then we sort of, you know, shifted the focus to the elves in season two. And so, like, they, you know, our um, our viewers are used to relating to the elves and connecting to the elves and, and thinking about. And now all of a sudden, these that they've been, these characters they've been relating to for three seasons already now seem strange. Right now yeah. seem weird. Like it's like recontextualizing all of that yeah. uh, to kind of realize how, you know, how strange, how alien the yeah. elves actually. Were. And I love that. I love the way in which yeah. it gives a fresh perspective. Um, like, yes, they're, they're, those people, you know, the characters that you, you know, the, the, the elf characters that you came to like over the last season three, they're still the same people. Right. And you can yeah. still like them in the same way. But it just kind of a reminder. They're still elves. After all, yeah. you know, yeah. and I have found myself like getting emotional thinking about the human characters in these stories. When I think about Haleth at the at the stockade, when I think mm-hmm. about Beor and his death and, and him passing his uh, his skills and his abilities on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And when I think about Hador, who is probably 
the best warrior in his group, right? And then he goes to Estelad, and he's second best, right? And when that happened, I felt it so hard because, <laughs> like, the you know, big fish in the small pond syndrome right, sets in. Right. It's like, oh, that's what's happening here, you know? Right. And it was like, oh. I, I recognize that. I know what that feels like. Right. And the way um, that that sets up the, um, I love the, 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 the kind of parallel to that. Like now, like going to be, uh, you know, a kid warrior among the elves. On he's the, the last hand, starfighter. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's like, basically, I mean, he's going to be, now he's going to be like really second best. Like he, you know, he was, he came up second best. Now he's going to be, but, it, but in, you know, while having him in that parallel position where he's like, again, they're like the, the, the junior varsity squad. Um, yet like he, he proves himself. Right. So the way in which it, 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 it comes around, um, and the, the 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 size of the victory compared to the size the of the crushing loss, you know, at the beginning of the episode, um, and the way that yeah. it puts all that into context, I think I think it's I yeah. think those parallels are really nice. Right, right, yeah. No, I I I really enjoyed Hador's story, which is amazing because I never like I remember Hador's name, and that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's, about it's really this is the. To me, this is the big reward of this project, right? I mean, it's there are so there are so many people who just get mentioned, and to be honest, like even some of the major characters, right? Um, I think it's one of the things that really you notice when we're doing this, right? You know, when we're talking about these characters and we're thinking about this, so so not all, not everything about all of them. But even the major characters in the Silmarillion are still largely left to our own imagination, right? A yeah. lot of the things that Silmarillion readers love about particular characters are things that they've added to it through their own imaginations, right? What they love about it is that Tolkien has created these characters and these stories that are so evocative that you invest yourself in them, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're, but the character, in, in some ways... I think with many of these characters, with many of the, like the character that you love, there's very little of it in the text itself. Yeah. It evokes yeah. it in the reader, and yeah. that's a that's a very uh, a very powerful thing, and that's a very uh, it's a very effective thing. But again, mm-hmm. we don't actually get to know them very well. We yeah. we know very little about them. Um, we're kind of draw, you know. There are a whole bunch of small evocative details that were given, which, which, you know, can, but we do a lot of fleshing out ourselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just kind of continuing that process and doing more of that, I think is really, is, uh, is, 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 is really fun. And, um, and I, I, I do love that Hanor's story is essentially like an eighties teen action movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like it follows all the beats the whole way up. Right. Right. Um, and it's just like he, he having fun with these characters has been also extremely rewarding, you know, mm-hmm. like, like teasing, like teasing at twilight in, you know, in the Holoth episode <laughs> um, was, was so much fun. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's cool. been, uh, 
it's been great. Well, we have a little bit of time. Let's look at the B plot at least. Maybe we won't finish it, but okay. we can at least look at it. So the yeah. B plot is in so sandwiched in between these, right? We have the 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 escape plot is the A plot. Um, so we're with Rogren, and and it's Rogren's kind of the point of view character, right? Primarily, yeah. yes. So we're we're following Rogren, um, and then of course we've got Hador uh, and their two stories meeting as we've uh, described. Oh wait, I forgot. Hang on. So Fingen is going to give him the the dragon helm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what what does that like mean to Hador and to Fingen when that transfer happens? So to Fingen, and it's funny. I actually went back to try to to listen to the session where we talked about this because I remember us talking about like what Fingen says to him mm-hmm. here, and I can't mm-hmm. remember what it was. Um, but conceptually. Um, Fingen is saying to Hador and men in gen- right. more generally, right? Like you have a place here. You have a role to play right. in this story, and I recognize that you need to be playing it now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Not someday, right? Not when you're ready. Not when I figure out what to do with you. Right. I figured it out. Right. You have a place in the story today. Right. Right. Um, because the story of the Dragon Helm is is important, and it's an important part of their story. Fingen received the Dragon Helm because of his encounter with Glaron, which symbolically, of course, is Fingen is preparing men to face Laura. Right. To face his the enemy he failed to kill. Right. Uh, we, we don't know that yet, obviously, but that is happening here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're working our way towards Turin there uh, with the dragon yeah. helm. Yeah. Oh, it, way, way down the road. Down but, the road. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to Hador, it's a, it's a vindication that he is, worth it you know that he can that he's grown up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because that was the feeling that he was left with at the end of his rite of passage was that yeah i did the thing that i was supposed to do feel different i feel like i should feel different (laughs) right right well and the other thing and this is what i was kind of focusing on earlier when i was talking about like their gear and their horses and everything that when they get among the elves they're gonna feel inadequate right i mean they're gonna feel you know like bumpkins um uh you know not they 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 know their own worth right and yet it's going to be clear that they are um uh, not up to the standard of, you know, the elvish. Like, they're not going to need the uncertain glances from the elf commander of the outpost to tell them that, you know, nobody knows what to do with them and nobody really respects them uh, up there, mm-hmm. uh, with a possible exception of Fingen, but especially once Fingen leaves. Um, so having, like, 
seeing and feeling that he has now earned a place among the elves and like earned the respect mm-hmm. of the elves. So we've got, you know, Fingen respecting him and giving him the dragon helm and Rolgren there. And again, with Rolgren on his side, the rest of the soldiers are, you know, I mean, like he's going to be a hero among the, 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 uh, the soldiers of, of, um, of Hithlum because of his rescue of Rolgren. So um, right. I, that, that sort of not only for him personally, this kind of growing up and I've arrived thing, but also the um, I am a peer of elf lords now. Like, I, you know, I, I, I really do fit here. Um, that's a that's a pretty big deal for him to feel that way. Not just and again, I'm thinking especially ahead towards Hador in uh, the council. Right. It's not just a, yeah, the elves are great and it's fun being their pets. Right. That's not his line. Right. Mm. Um, We can work with them and they're willing to work with us and they will respect us. You know, we can we can earn the respect of the elves. I have the respect of the elves and um, we can operate with them as equals. I would think that's got to be one of the things that comes up at the council. Right. That the anti-elf faction is going to be like, you know what are they going to take us in as their pets or are they going to, uh, you know, are are we going to be like their herd animals? Um, um, They obviously are not going to respect us. They don't treat us as equals. And, and there will be hot or there to say, actually, yeah, that's exactly what we, what they will do, um, what they can do, what I have already found. So cool. Um, uh, Neat. Okay. Um, So, Sorry, back to the B pot. I was just realized I was skipping over the dragon helm there. Back, back, back to the B pot. So we last left Haleth and the Haladin staggering out of uh, Nandungorthab with uh, a rather surprised Thingol and Beleg looking on. Right. Right. Um, right. So we start here. The B pot starts with the, with with the meeting. Right. The mingle. The right. meeting of thing. The, when when Haleth and Thingol meet face to face. So t- yeah. t- t- tell me more. How does that go? So. One thing I was thinking of is so you know we talked a lot about the fact that um, that Thingol's obviously significantly taller than she is, like she's tall for a Haladine woman, right? But Thingol's the tallest person ever, <laughs> right? 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 He's like he's like seven and a half feet tall at least, right? Yeah, right. And so when she, you know, I was thinking today it might be interesting that if she were to say, I you know I won't talk up to somebody sitting astride a horse and so he gets down off his horse <laughs> and he's still he's towering still, over right, here right he's right. barely like, any shorter yeah right yeah so you know she's like okay well that I, <laughs> I never I mind <laughs> yeah right. hang on um, i'm gonna get on a horse i'll, I'll be right yeah. back yeah yeah let me get a box let me get a box exactly <laughs> right. yeah. um but basically Thingol's going to to tell her, look, you, you what you guys did, I don't know how you did it. Um, Beleg's going to express admiration, which Thingol can agree with, right? More coolly, but he will agree, right? Right. Um, and he tells them, um, you know, look, you, you know, you can stay here, rest up here in Dimbar. Um, you know, regain your strength for when you move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, that's his stance. Right, you know, he's not a total jerk to them. Where he's like, they're clearly hurting. He's not going to just 
right send them packing immediately move along move but, along <laughs> right you can't but stay you here, can't yeah. stay here right yeah right yeah but right but he will make it clear yes i'm not inviting you to live here keep in mind right yes yeah um right. yes yeah yes this is a temporary easement <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes uh, yeah okay so so but when as he's like walking away from that bell he's like hey um so i have an idea uh, they, we've been having this problem in Brethel, mm-hmm. and maybe we can solve one problem with another and right. win a victory for the Southerners. <laughs> um, right. So, question about Belig here. So, the one stumbling book. This was the one stumbling block I had in the in the yeah. outline here. Um, the one thing that gave me pause was Belig basically. Kind of throwing them to the cats, right? Like it's, or uh, let me just state what I was concerned by. Like worrying mm. that it's going to look basically, Bella could look a little bit like a jerk here, or at least fairly cold blooded, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Bella's a great guy. So I'd like to think, right, that his first impulse would be like, oh my gosh, like, how can we help you? Right. Yeah. Not like, right. oh, hey, like newly traumatized and bloodied yeah. people. Um, let's like have you attack an enemy that we don't want to attack. Right. Right. Um, right. Like, uh, to 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 solve it. You know, that, that just it seemed a little heartless. Right. For uh, for him to. put. So I'm wondering the way that it would seem to me to most easily kind of get around this problem would be to have Beleg not originate the idea, but Haleth originate the idea. Um, like, basically, if... I mean, I don't know if the conversation would have to flow like this, but if it basically kind of went like this, where Haleth, you know, th- th- they say, hey, great, you guys can rest here, but you can't stay, and have Haleth being essentially like, you know, where... Is there anywhere that we can go? You know, she can say even like sarcastically, like, is there anywhere that you would permit us to stay? Um, and Bella could be like, well, on the one hand, there's the forest of Brethel, but on the other hand, we have this giant cat problem there, right? So you are, you're not going to want anything to do with the forest of Brethel, I assume, on account of the giant cat problem. And Holleth then being like, whatever, giant cat problem. We'll take it. We can, yeah, we'll take it as is, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And so it okay. becomes by, like a boast by her, which she then fulfills, mm-hmm. um, which seems like a very Haleth thing. That way, Bella can go along with it, right? But it does, it's not like he's like, hey, let's, um, let's force them to hunt the foes that we can't even handle, right? Um, but he would – and also he would support them, right? So he right. would be – anyway, that's, that's just one suggestion for maybe mitigating that, mm-hmm. that issue. Okay. Um, yeah. One thing that we definitely wanted to have come out of the scene is with Thingle kind of handing responsibility for this over to, to over Bellic. Bellic, Yeah, uh, We want to get Thingle out of there right. anyway. Um, right. He's been on holiday from uh, <laughs> right. from the Thousand Caves long enough. Um, <laughs> he's, he's come to the end of his leash, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so having him... Uh, you know the the problem we ran into is that we left him there at the end of the last episode. When we got here, we were like, "Wait a minute, 
he can't just be home at the beginning of the episode. That's <laughs> right. going to be weird. Right. Like, we're already having a little bit of bunny sledding going on here. I feel like this would stretch that to the breaking mm-hmm. point, and I'm not mm-hmm. okay with it. So, um, but, yeah, so, as far as Beleg starting out offering help, like, you know, how can we help you? I feel like that's the right move anyway right um, right to and start the conversation what if what if the belle the the brethel thing so Finkel's gonna say no right i mean if they say like because brethel is is in his domain and so right. if they ask for permission or or so i'm thinking it we can use that to mitigate so they have their first meeting and he's like, Thingle is like, okay, right there. That's like kind of impressive. Let them stay, but I still don't want them. You know, mm-hmm. move, move them along as soon as as soon as it's plausible to move them along. Right, and then he leaves, and he leaves the situation to Beleg. So if the if the Brethel thing emerges from Beleg, right, um, he doesn't have Thingle's blessing on this. But then, mm-hmm. um, Haleth, you know, because he, he, he's not giving it to them, right? He's not saying, like, I bestow upon you the forest of Brethel. He's just saying, well, there's a perfectly nice forest down here with this one exception, except for there are these giant cats. Um, and Haleth says, we'll take it um, and we'll slay the cats um, and, then, yeah, and then we will dwell there. And Beleg, he'd be kind of caught, right? Because Haleth, when she says, she's ready to go. Like, she's going to be like, and yeah. I shall now go and defeat the cats, yes. right? Yeah. And so Belig is like, oh, but I don't actually have authority <clears throat> to, but okay, um, let's go fight to build, though, I guess, yeah. is what's happening yes. now, right? So he's caught. Yeah. Um, so when he is, pre- he doesn't present this to Thingle until it's done, right? So he goes back to Thingle and he's like, so, okay, here's the story. <laughs> On the one hand, the humans want to live in the forest of Brethil. On the other hand, they just killed Tavildo and, you know, and, and wiped out the cats. So I'm thinking, you know, this okay. could work out. And that's when Thingol says, well, okay, fine. But as long, but you have to make them promise to, you know, guard the crossings of Taglin and, yeah. you know, or, Taglin okay. or whatever. Um, does that seem yeah. like that would kind of work out? Yeah. Um, I kind of love the, putting Belleg into this really awkward situation. <laughs> that sounds yep. fun. Yeah. So we can have Thingle. Uh, like, okay. So what we could do is have Thingle walking away, Belleg saying, like, where, where do you want them to go? Right. And Thingle right. saying, I don't really care where they go, but they can't stay here. Right. Right, which is almost permission. <laughs> right. right, right, and then um, so Bell would come back and be like, "I'm sure this isn't what you actually meant." But <laughs> right. um, so we don't have a scene where he actually talks to Thingle, but we, it, if he's relaying the information to Haleth, which that's the scene that's really important, right? Um, uh, we we get all the we we can like we can kind of fill in the blanks as to how that conversation went down right um uh 
because I, what I definitely don't want to do is have Bella go and have a conversation with Thingol and then go and relay the results of that conversation with Haleth. Like right, that just right, seems right. Foolish. You know, um, but one, one way in which we could, I think, maybe convey. So I just had this one very small idea here. If Winbelig, what if Winbelig shows up again at the end to relay the words? Mablung is with him, right? Yeah. Um, so that we have kind yeah. of like Thingol's authority there without Thingol himself, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I agree. And, that. and that way Mablung can kind of channel Thingol's reactions, <laughs> right? Yes. And kind of, you know, represent that. Um, yes. Um, yeah. And we haven't seen Mablung in a while. Right. So it, right. that's fine. Um that's fine. Um, so that also reminds folks like, see, look, Beleg went back and now he's, you know, he came back again and that's why Mabong is with him now. Yeah. So I can imagine this scene where now where Haleth says, you know, finds out about the cat problem. Like that doesn't sound like a problem to me. Right. right. We'll go take, we'll go take care of that. Um, right. And then she just turns and walks. Right. Right. And, and like, Beleg's like, uh, wait, uh, <laughs> exactly. hang on, and has to like walk to catch up with her, right? Right. Um, yeah, uh, and 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 she acts not only you know sort of swiftly and that, but acts as if a deal has been struck, right? Right. Um, okay, you know, so, so we slay the cats, then we, you know, then we, then it's our place, then it's our land, you, right? You clearly Done. can't hold on to it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's a, a deal. King is he who can protect? <laughs> who can, who can defend his own? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so she goes into far. Oh, how much fun El- would it be to have her say some kind of paraphrase of that line? That would be hilarious. Actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure that 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 something along those lines can be can be arranged. Um. So they go into into the forest, and for all appearances, to us, she just goes in with her closest people. They're going in giant cat hunting. How could this possibly end badly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And one thing that uh, came out of this discussion was how humans, early humans, are willing to – willing is a very strong word have a level of acceptable losses Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. involved in hunting. Right. Right. Which elves do not have. Right. Right. Um, Like you can't imagine elves hunting mammoths, for example. Right. Like it's super. Why would you even do that? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, you know, you, you, you do, you, you kill one mammoth with 50 people and five of them die. Right. Like, how is that okay? Right. How are you okay right. with that? Right. Right. Um, Yet another so little this... glimpse into the different perspective towards death that humans right. and elves have. Right. Um, they live with it all the time. Yeah. Well, does it make a huge difference whether they die now or 50 it, years from now? Exactly. It, it exactly. makes some, but yeah, sure. it's not. Sure. But not the same difference as it would as it makes for the elves. Right. Yeah. Um, so they get ambushed by Tevildo, who is toying with them, right? Um, what Tevildo doesn't know is that they have made themselves bait, right. which is something the elves would never do. Right. You know, except in a very desperate situation. We had something like this happen 
during um, the season finale of season four, but that was with Glaurung. With Glaurung like right. that's a very different right. situation. That's when the mammoth comes to you, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, <laughs> like that's, right. that's yeah. not a that's not a normal hunting practice for no. elves. No, um, and they had a clear route of escape. They didn't in, intentionally make it look like they had walked into an ambush. Right. 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 Um, so they get ambushed by Tavildo and his cats. Halleth's spear is broken. Mm-hmm. The, right? the, 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 the big spear, the important spear. Right. Yeah. yeah the, yes. yes. So that, that therefore gives the clear cue to the audience that it's all up for Haleth, right? Yes. You know, the yes. staff of her authority is broken. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but she's gonna, she's going to turn our expectations on their heads, right? Because not just her Amazons are here, but all of her people—not all, but like most of her people are here—and they lay into these cats with bows. Some of them get close enough to actually, you know, to to use spears and whatnot. And Haleth catches Tavildo unawares with what's left of her spear and kills him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she's gonna she's going to continue to she's not gonna rehalf the spear, right? She's going to carry this spear like a like an ikhwat, right? Like right. the the like those uh short handled spears they use in Africa. Right, right. I think it would be great for her to have uh now she has a, a not only a signature weapon, but a distinct signature weapon. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um what's Beleg doing? What's what's Beleg so Beleg is is along, right, and Presumably, all kinds right. of alarmed. <laughs> right. These. So we wanted him to to play a role. So it, like during the first onrush, he pushes her out of the way so that she doesn't get immediately mauled. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. we wanted him. We wanted him to to play a role. And um and David asked for something like that. So we you know we we we're, we're always willing to accommodate um <laughs> most of the time. Um. So we wanted to to show that he's not not helping them, right? Right. Um, but he, he's 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 fighting hand to hand, though. I guess um, in this situation, there's not much right. choice, right? <clears throat> right. You know, cats would out. be difficult to yeah hunt, to yeah. Yeah. bow hunting. Cats would be very difficult, right? And he, he's probably aware of the ambush like a split second before it happens. Right. Um, which is why he's able to, to act to at least save Haleth from immediate death. Right. Right. Um, but, and he's aware of the plan too. Right. So right. like, he's not completely, you know, he's in the know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you probably see a moment of, of slight panic, like, oh, this was a terrible idea. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like, right. this is going exactly as badly as I thought it would, you know, yeah. kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and by the and way, this... people are going to be killed. Yeah. Like some of her Amazons are going to get killed in, right. in this. Right. And, situation. and, and, you know, and this is actually, I mean, this is something we shouldn't overlook with Beleg. Like Beleg is willing to, he is very likely to die and he's got to know he's very likely to die. Yeah. Um, and yet like 
his own sense of responsibility for the situation would be such that he would be going along with them even no, you know, so I, I think that, you know, Haleth herself might not fully understand because she knows so little of Elvish culture might not fully understand what a big deal that was, you know, but it, I think the viewers should have some sense like this is kind of, I mean, he was, he was willing to really thought he was going to die, you know, at that point. Yeah, he's really putting himself on the limb for them. And it, as, if we have Mablon there in the final scene, um, having him say something to to that effect, right? Aside to Bellic, having him say, you know, like you nearly gave your life for these people. I, yes. I I really hope that it's worth it to you. Right. 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 Which prefigures Turin. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. And, and that's that's the other thing that I was kind of building towards as well. Establishing Beleg, just as we were, yeah. were looking at um, the really just as we're kind of working towards Turin in uh, with the <clears throat> with Hador up north, also <laughs> working towards Turin down here with Beleg. Um, it's actually interesting how Turin is like uh, is, is like this uh, sort of submerged motif yes. throughout this entire episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I really like That's that. Fun. And having Belek say something to the effect of like they would do no less for each other. Right. Right. You know, like they are willing to risk their own lives just for to help sustain their you know, their family members even. Yeah. I mean, and you he know. would he would I think comment about the fact that um you know, this is this is a great benefit to Doriath. Like they, they could ask for no better guardians on this frontier. Yeah. You know, like this is, yeah. um, this is going to, this is going to be a really, really good, I mean, Beleg will be, you know, Moblong, I assume once again, would be tending to have this first time encounter from elf to human kind of like, whoa, you know, these rather unimpressive, you know, primitive persons. Um, yeah. uh, I'm underwhelmed, you know, but Beleg would, of course, have a much clearer perspective. Of course, he'd be underwhelmed until he saw, you know, like the hide of uh, Tevildo. Does she wear it, by the way? Um, I think... The I pelt of Tevildo? Think, yeah, I think that we did... Well, so we could actually use that to help show that time has passed... Right. During the the time in between the the ambush scene and the you know the uh, the wrap up is if she's wearing like wearing it Hercules style right yeah well, that's kind of what I was picturing yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean I almost have to think she I mean she she would totally do that right I mean how would how would she I mean the only other thing that she would do would be to have it you know um, up if it were too big right mm. um, uh, that. Uh, you know, if uh, th- that that she, you know, would instead have it like as a, you know, banner or, you know, like up on the um, on her house or something like that. But but it would be cooler to have her wear it. She doesn't have to, like, have his head over her head as a hood or something like that. But um, but, you know, her to be wearing Tevildo's pelt as a cape. 
especially since Tavildo is a character we've seen for several seasons now, right? I mean, he's yeah. not been like an enormous character in the in the show, but he's been a recurring yeah. character in the show. Um, yep. And to have this yep. character wearing his pelt is kind of hardcore, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a very in a very Holodean kind of hardcore, you know. It could still that pelt could still be around when Turin shows up. Yeah. Yeah. So when Turin shows up, right? Like nobody's using them, but right. the pelt and the and the, the spear, spear are are there. They're present. Oh right? man! And wouldn't it serve to make Brondir look more ridiculous? Right? Uh, I like the kind of contrast oh, yeah. because yeah. Brondir would be the one who would it. who would have inherited yeah. the pelt, right? But he yeah. would look dumb in the pelt. <laughs> he would look so, like a poser in the pelt. I mean, it'd be it'd be it, yeah yeah yeah. So we've talked about. Um, about uh, Andreth going to Brethel to retire, right, at the end right. of her days. Um, and she receives um, not Anduril. What's the actual Narsil? She receives Narsil from yeah. uh, from Finrod, right? So at the time when Turin is there, getting ready to go off to fight Glaurung, Narsil and you know Halleth's monster killing spear are present and like I just have this in, 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 this isn't a scene in the show but like I have this in my imagination where the black sword is there sitting right next to Narsil, Narsil. and the monster killing spear <laughs> and he goes nah I'm going with this one <laughs> right, right or like you know Turin looking at Narsil and being like I could use this as a backup sword, you know. It's, yeah. It'd be like my second best sword. <laughs> yeah. no, I, oh, I do. Th- I I do want to maintain the suspiciously significant thing that every weapon that kills a dragon is black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know why I've been obsessed with that for years, but <laughs> that's no. right up there with, with cool. David saying of Goliath's sword, "Give it, give it to me." Uh, there is none like, and I'm like, wait, why? Why? That's <laughs> right, important. Right, I need to know right, why. Exactly. Tell me more about Goliath's sword. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, anyway. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, of course, we've got to work on that with Ankalagon the Black, but I assume I, yeah. I, I assume you have a plan <laughs> for Arendel yeah. and a black yeah. weapon, right? Yep. Absolutely. The bowsprit has the bowsprit. Is made of a, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, yeah, cool. Anyway, all right. Um, so there's more that we can maybe wrap up, but we're we're getting late. So we'll we'll kind of yeah. t- we'll we'll come back and we'll tidy up uh, the end of this uh, sequence, and then we'll maybe t- uh, we can, we can talk about the frame for a little bit, and then we'll we'll move on next time. So uh, we didn't quite finish, but we actually got a little further than I expected to. So our next session, uh, session number 30, 29, um, I almost said fifty nine, but it's season five. 29 um will be on thursday april 22nd at 10 p.m um we will finish up uh the last of 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 the b plot and then um uh a little bit the frame is only the two scenes so the the frame is quite short and we've already addressed it a little bit actually uh, thematically yeah. anyhow um but anyway so we'll just we'll touch on those things briefly and then we'll go on and discuss the culture of the adine a little bit more um thinking about especially as we go to try to do a little bit of more world building, thinking about in more detail um, what 
what does the human culture inside uh, Nargothrond look like? What does it look like in Ladros? What is it? What does it look like up in Dor Lomen? Right? How are we? Um, how are we showing those 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 kinds? You know, the sort of the the changes and the progress and things like that. So um, anyway, it'll be it'll it'll be interesting to kind of flesh that out in a little bit more detail so that we can kind of picture things a little bit more uh, fully as we move into the second half of the season uh, then thereafter. So awesome. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.